Welcome to another episode of Reformation Roundtable. My name is Joe Stout, and I would like to introduce a new format to the Reformation Roundtable podcast. If you've listened to the past discussions, you know that generally we start with the teaching, and then following the teaching, we have a discussion on said teaching. Well, on uh, November 22nd, we actually did something a little bit different. Instead of just the heads of household coming together, all of the families with their kids and everybody came together for a night of fellowship and uh, discussion, theological discussion. So it's a slightly different um, format because not only is there not a teaching that we start with, with a discussion to follow, but we are actually having the discussion in real time and there'll actually be some singing and interaction from the from the group. And so this is something that's going to become part of the um, of the Reformation Roundtable podcast because it moves more in the direction of where we're planning on going, which is to weekly worship. The Reformation Roundtable podcast exists to bring about unity on Reformed theology so that we can plant a distinctly Reformed and biblically faithful church here in Lewis County. There aren't any Reformed churches in Lewis County. We want to see that change. And so the the format of this podcast may shift um, from week to week. Some weeks it might be just the discussion, and some weeks it might be the fellowship time as well. So this is a fellowship night that happened on November 22nd, and we discussed the Reformed Evangelical Confession. It's a statement of faith, and it's one that uh, has a lot of really, really deep and meaningful theology packed into a very, very short uh, confession of faith. So with that, I will go ahead and turn it over to the time of fellowship, uh, the recorded time of fellowship. I hope you are blessed by it. And if you would like to join us, if you'd like to be a part of uh, the Reformation that's happening here in Lewis County, go to lewiscounty.church. There's a contact form, fill that out, and we would love to bring you into the fold and have you be a part of what's going on here in Lewis County. I hope you enjoy listening in to this time of fellowship. Well, why don't I go ahead and open this up in prayer, and then I just have a, a few introductory words to say, and then I thought we'd sing a song and then kind of dive into our uh, Reformed Confession, but uh, I'll go ahead and pray. Gracious God in heaven, we come before you today as your people, uh, set apart for good works by the Holy Spirit. Uh, you have sought us out. You have um, initiated this um, relationship. And Lord, when we respond to you, we give you glory for that too, because that is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Lord, apart from you, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And we are not a little bit dead. We are not mostly dead. We are completely dead in the ground, unable to respond to, your efficacious, to anything but an efficacious call from the Spirit. And so we pray, Lord, tonight that you would... Please be glorified and honored by our conversation. We pray, Father, for wisdom that each one of us would leave this place tonight changed and a little bit more like your son, Jesus Christ. We also pray for Anna, who is um, sick right now with uh, really just a bad headache. And a headache like that, uh, Lord, can be just so debilitating. And we ask, Father, that you give her courage right now and um, help her to feel comfort and um, also relief. Lord, we pray for physical relief and um, that you would also guard her in her infirmity, that she would be um, protected from the temptations of, of the evil one. Uh, thank you so much for each one of these people that are here tonight. We pray that you would bless them mightily for 
um, for the, their, their being here together with your saints. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 All right. So just a couple introductory notes, and then we're going to sing a song. Um, but um, I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question, which means that you don't have to answer it. And by the way, kids, um, there's lots of kids here. You guys are awesome for being here and for listening. Um, and we got lots of goodies afterwards. And um, I want you guys to know that kids are not a, an impediment to worship. They are a vital point. So each one of you kids, we cannot worship God as faithfully without you as we can with you here. So each one of you play an extraordinarily important role, not just tonight, but in, the, in, the, in, the, uh, in God's house, in the worship of God. Um, we are told to, um, to not hold back any of you guys from coming to Jesus. So you guys are awesome for being here, and we're going to treat you like one of the adults. That means we're going to ask questions, we're going to expect you guys to be listening, and to have lots of good answers, all right? So um, I'm going to ask you guys a rhetorical question. A rhetorical question means it's a question you don't have to answer. You can answer it in your... You can answer this rhetorical question inside your mind. And you can even talk about it amongst yourselves later. But the question is this. Why are we here tonight? Why are you here tonight? And for each one of us, each one of our families, that answer is going to be different. Some of us, I'll speak for myself, are here because we want to see a reformed church be built in Lewis County. We don't have a church home that we're members of. We have a very, very uh, great church that we're, we're thrilled to be a part of up in Olympia, but it's not our church home. Uh, it is right now. But going forward, we'd like to see a Reformed church be built here in Lewis County. That's us. Some of you guys are here because you want some fellowship. Some of you are here because you're interested in Reformed theology and would like to know a little bit more. Simply being here doesn't mean that any one of us is expecting you to be members of the church that hasn't even got started yet. All right, so I just, I don't want anybody to feel like any sense of pressure, like, oh, I came to this once and, and now I'm a foundational member of this church that doesn't exist. That's not why anybody, that's not why you, that's not why some of you are here and no one's going to hold you to that. So I just, hopefully nobody will feel any pressure like, oh man, I, I really like the church I'm going to, but uh, now they're expecting me to, to leave that church for this. We're not at all. We just want to see a Reformed church start with people who need it. Um, so this is not a commitment to a new church simply by being here. Part of this is just fellowship. Uh, we're told not to forsake the fellowshipping of believers, the gathering together of believers. Now primarily, of course, that means Lord's Day worship of your local church body. But it can be extended to just fellowshipping like this, especially in the world that we live in, where the Church of Christ is really under attack. The worship of Christ is really under attack. Um, and then the second question I've got is, and this is once again rhetorical because we're going to sing a song after this, but why are we looking at this particular confession? It's the Reformed Evangelical Confession. Um, and the reason why, I'm going to go ahead and give my reason for why we're looking at this confession. In, um, when, in, in our desire to start a church, we don't want to go about doing our own thing. We don't want to just start an independent church. There's plenty of independent churches out there, and each one of them is a denomination in and of itself. Um, and so we want to, um, we want to uh, attach ourselves to a church planter, a, a church that's already established, 
that will take over the guidance of our church plant. And um, there's a church up in Seattle known as uh, Trinity Church. It's pastored by Dave Hatcher, and he met with us via Zoom call uh, about a week and a half ago. Um, if you want to be, if he, if, if he was to take over our, the, the church plant and, and say, hey, we'll give guidance to this, and we'll be the, we'll be the, uh, um, the, uh, yeah, the house church, the, the, the host church, exactly. Um, <clears throat> we have about seven different confessions you can choose from. One is the London Baptist Confession. Another is the Westminster Confession of Faith. Those are big, meaty documents, and they're, they're amazing, and they're good, and, and, they, and they require tons and tons of conviction and, and time looking at. Um, but for some of us, present company included, we don't necessarily, we're not necessarily hardcore Presbyterians or hardcore Baptists or somewhere in between. We are maybe new to the Reformed world, or maybe we already know where we are, Maybe we are Presbyterians, or maybe we are Baptists, but we want to see a church planted, and we don't want to divide on things like baptism right out of the gate. And so the Reformed Evangelical Confession is only three pages long. And if the church plant, whoever was a part of the church plant, if we all agreed to this, then this would be basically the kind of the minimum that would be required to become um, a, uh, to, to have Trinity Church up in Seattle over, oversee us. Um, Trinity Church is part of the CREC, the Com Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches. Um, but this is one that if we subscribe to this, they would welcome us in, basically, and, um, and kind of take care of us and minister to us and be our host church. So that's why we're looking at this particular confession. And the last thing is, what about the Bible? You know, have you ever guys heard, ever heard the saying, I've got no creed but Christ? Well, that in and of itself is obviously a creed. Um, but the idea behind it is people say, I don't want to be a part of a creed or a confession. All I want is the Bible. Just show me the Bible. I want to see Bible verses. We're not going to look at Bible verses tonight. Not because we don't think they're important. We think they are of the utmost importance. But because we're looking at the conglomeration or the um, tying together of the Bible into a confession. So what we're going to read is a confession that is solely based completely on scripture. There isn't anything that we'll read here that doesn't have its roots in scripture. And so that's not to say that we shouldn't be looking at the Bible alongside this, but it's just for tonight in interest of time, we're, not, we're just gonna be going through as much of this as we can um, without, without going to a bunch of proof texting. Um, any thoughts or questions on that? It's kind of the, the little introduction. We're gonna actually sing a song to, to kind of, before we actually dive into it, but cool. All right, so the first one we're going to sing is, and you guys can stay seated, is uh, Praise to the Lord the Almighty. Now, if you don't know this one, it's six verses long. You'll know it by the end. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to sing this one. Does everybody have words? Because I've got, I've got extra words if anybody needs them. You need some, Brittany? All right, here we go. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise Him, for He is thy help and salvation. All ye who hear, now to His temple draw near. Praise Him in glad adoration. 
said amen. amen that's right that's a good one love that love that hymn okay so <clears throat> go ahead and pull out your reformation or your uh, reformed evangelical confession <clears throat> and i'm about done with all my monologuing and we're gonna really this we're gonna open this up for discussion kids we want you a part of it we want everybody who has something to add to this to be a part of this what I thought we would do, um, you can see that each line, um, there's a, each um, paragraph starts with, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. And I thought what we would do is I would just give just a quick little overview of what that section is. Then I would read it, and then we would discuss it. Discuss things that we love about it, things that we maybe have struggle with, um, things that we find biblical or unbiblical. And so, you guys sound that, does that sound good? Amen. Okay. Um, so <clears throat> this is from the Westminster Creed. It's, uh, it's from the Shorter Catechism, as it says there. And we'll just start with the first line, um, which is, um, I believe man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so what I have for that is that why are we here and what are we supposed to do? We're starting, and you'll see at the end of this, that we're finishing with the same question. Why and what are we to do? Uh, chief, the, the, uh, chief, uh, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Anybody have any thoughts on the, the beginning of this? We can, we, 
If you don't have thoughts, that's fine. We'll, we'll press on through. But. I think people who aren't very familiar with the Westminster Confession or the Shorter Catholic might find it a little odd to say enjoy him. Mm -hmm. Enjoy, I think, sometimes it comes at people a little, little off, you know, out of left field, I guess. But love it that it's we're glorifying God and we get to enjoy His presence yeah. and all of the goodness and the riches that come with His blessings and all that. And yeah. So sometimes I think we lose sight of that mm -hmm. fact, being the chief. Yeah. Amen. That's good. I like this as the first. I believe the first answer to a question, because when we think about it, it kind of sums up our worldview, really. I mean, a worldview, every worldview needs to answer the question, why are we here, why is there something rather than nothing? Yeah. And I don't know how many people are so perplexed and wring their hands so much because they don't know their purpose in life, and yeah. here it is right here. Amen. It's so beautiful and simple and succinct and fundamental. Yeah. Did all the kids hear that? You know, being a Christian means that you get to enjoy something, you get to enjoy God. So being a Christian is there's a sense in which you take up your cross, and so there's going to be things can get harder when you become a Christian. But in, that's, only, that's only looking at things from one perspective. The other perspective is that you get to glorify God by enjoying Him. That's how you do it. You get to glorify God and enjoy Him. Any other thoughts? Okay, so the next, uh, the next I believe, is the attributes of God. Um, and they're the attributes of one God. So we're, we're monotheists, but we're Trinitarian. And we'll get to the Trinity in the next line. But it's, I believe God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being. Wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. So he's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in all of those things. Wisdom, being, power, justice, holiness, goodness, truth. That's who God is. Any thoughts on that? Okay, we'll move right on into the next section, which is about the Trinity. So the first one is why, who, you know, why we're here and what are we supposed to do. The next thing is that God is this. He's a spirit and an infinite, eternal and unchangeable. And then we're going to immediately go right into the Trinity. And guys, the Trinity is what sets us apart from every Christian in uh, bunny ears there, every Christian cult out there. Mormonisms, Jehovah's Witness, none of them are Trinitarian. And that, in being Trinitarian, is what sets us apart. So, verse, uh, line three says, I believe there is but one true and living God, and that there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and that these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power, and glory. Now, you guys all have the doctrine of the Trinity totally figured out, I know, so we can probably just move on, right? <laughs> Yeah, not a mystery at all. Hey, the, whenever I pause, that means anybody can jump in if you guys want to. I appreciate that this is, um, again, kind of succinct, because I've read through some of the documents that are accessible confessions mm -hmm. that, um, that just really go into a lot of detail, which mm. is valuable, I think, in a lot of ways, but... Um, because this is a little bit inexplicable, uh, a three and one, mm -hmm. there's one, when you try and get, expand on that a whole lot, it can get a bit mm. uh, convoluted, maybe? Yeah. So brevity is a, is a 
good thing here. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. And I think uh, the the source of these, you know, it's a product of a lot of theologians gathering, typically in a response to something, mm-hmm. you know, the Arian heresy or whatever right. it is. And I mean, the I like the creedal form of the confession because yeah. it, it does kind of distill it down a little bit. The Westminster Confession, I, I know, is pretty pretty big document. Very big. And it and it came about by a bunch of theologians who were like-minded, like-hearted towards God, you know, generating this thing. Yeah. And uh, it's 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 wonderful and it's beautiful, but yeah, it's, it's a whole yeah. other thing to carry around. Too. Yeah. Great. Now the next line is all about God's sovereignty. Uh, and right away you start to see um, in the Reformed world what sets Reformed Christians generally apart is how far they're willing to push God's sovereignty. How far they are comfortable with the sovereignty of God. All Christians believe God is sovereign. We, believe, we all believe he's all powerful. But Reformed confessions go, go all the way. So it says, I believe God has foreordained whatever comes to pass. That God made all things of nothing... By the word of his power and the space of six days and all very good. And that God preserves and governs all his creatures and all their actions. Can we believe this? <laughs> do, we, do we have what it takes to believe that all the way to the corners of life, uh, the corners of the universe, including everything in the world? Can we believe that God is sovereign over everything? Joe? Yes. If I could. Yes. Um, part that kind of niggles at me a little bit on this, and that God preserves and governs all his creatures, okay, that's great, and all their actions. Mm -hmm. Does that take into account free will? Right. Yeah, that's good. That's a great question. That's a great question. In fact, free will is going to come on the second page. Um, That's, any any thoughts on that? So God, God's sovereignty um, governing all his creatures and by governing the creatures, is he also governing their actions? And where does the free agency or free will come in in that discussion? Anybody have any thoughts on that? Seems like the key word there would be govern. Is governing is like controlling, doing for them. What, yeah. Mm-hmm. What, what, what do we understand there by governing? Yeah, that's good. Because I, I guess, I guess gov- that, that's the way to think about it. Governing gives an idea of like setting a law, like this is how it should be done, but that doesn't mean that's followed to the T all the time. You know, I mean, we you see things that act outside of the norm hmm. on occasion. Right. Another aspect of this is if you live in a random universe, can you have freedom? Hmm. If God controls the universe, then he establishes our freedom. Great. Exactly. He establishes his freedom because he's in control of every molecule careening through all of space and time. Mm -hmm. And what's the the fundamental issue with a secular humanist worldview? It's it's humans wanting absolute autonomy. They, They want to control themselves hmm. and their environment and everything around them. Mm-hmm. So there's the rub there. I mean, um, yeah. That, that yeah, absolutely. And that's that's the huge gap there, right. where we 
we, you know, we, we want to know that God is, you know, all this is leading up what we've read so far, and it says, this is, this is our God. It's hmm. not a little G God, it's the God, and he's, he's in charge, and he's in control. You know, we want to, we want to, we want to have humans in their humanity want, they like chaos, and they want to have that around them. God says no. You know, I, I was watching, I was watching um, a video series that Francis Schaeffer put together. He said, you know, chaos works if you're an artist or a musician or whatever. You can make it, make, you can make that case. But for someone who wants to build an airplane and fly an airplane, guess what? You cannot separate yourself from the laws of God. It has to be orderly. It has to be. It has to be exact. And whether you like it or not, that plane is only going to fly if you submit and subscribe to the mm. laws that God has put on. So, you yeah. Know, right. But that free will issue is it's a difficult one. Yeah. It really is. Uh, I subscribe more to a free agency. Mm. You know. I may want to climb on your roof and fly fly home tonight, but I can't do it. <laughs> There's a law that right. says I can't. Sure. But yeah. uh, I can certainly choose to go up and if you hear a thud out there, it'll be me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Well, that's good. That's good, Les. And Kay, that's a great question. I mean, that's that, that's kind of, in a sense, it's an eternal question. It's kind of like something that we all have to wrestle through. Um, if man truly has free will, like right down to the end, then does that make man sovereign and God not? Um, and uh, we've just got to wrestle with that. And there's not necessarily an easy there's not necessarily an easy answer to that. Although I think I think I believe at least I'm convinced that Scripture is pretty clear on the total sovereignty of God, and that He also holds us ultimately responsible for our action, and that when our responsibility and His sovereignty meet. It's not a clash. They are they're friends. They're, and, and how does God do that? <laughs> it's like the Trinity. <laughs> it's like he knows and we don't necessarily. So let's, let's keep moving on, on, on to the next section, which is really about the depravity of man or, or about our fall. It says, I believe our first parents, though created in knowledge, righteousness and holiness, that's how they were created, that they sinned against God by eating the forbidden fruit. And that their fall brought mankind, mankind kids doesn't just mean men, but it means all people, into an estate or into a home of sin and misery. Um, and so one of the things I thought that stuck out to me right away is the covenantal nature of sin. How when we sin, it's not just affecting us or the person that we sinned against. It affects everyone. It totally breaks relationships. And for, for Adam... When he sinned, or when our first parents sinned, we are still reaping the wages of that sin. God is just, and he promised to give Adam exactly what he promised, which was death if he sinned. Adam did it, and we're still reaping that. Um, anybody have any thoughts on the section here of talking about the fall of man? Kind of hard to argue with this one. <laughs> Next one we can, we can fight about the next one. It says, I believe, uh, the next one's about election. I believe God determined out of his mere good pleasure. That means it's not out of merit. It's not out of something we did. I believe God determined out of his mere good pleasure to deliver his elect out of the estate of sin and misery and to bring them into an estate of salvation 
by a redeemer. So Adam got us into an estate that was sin and misery. The redeemer is going to, by the good pleasure of God, bring us into an estate of, of um, salvation. Anybody have any thoughts on that? Election's a big one. Does anybody have a problem with election? That's kind of going back to what we were talking about, free will and stuff, and God has preordained everything. And it's, I, I don't have, I, I internally don't have any like second thoughts at all about saying God is sovereign, omnipotent. Um, but the implications of, of that is like, hmm. So from from the beginning of the universe, from, from when God created everything, did he set out for me, you are going to be one of my elected, and this other person is not. Mm-hmm. That, like, again, I, I can say, I can say without any hesitation that God is all powerful, and yeah, and His will is ultimately what will happen. But yeah, yeah. one step further is like, hmm. or or if you take it even the next step, um, can we believe? in a God who has elected some not unto salvation. Yeah. So, you know, we kind of feel okay about God electing us unto salvation, but how do we feel about him hardening the heart of Pharaoh? You know, is that, is that okay? Is, 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 that, is God allowed to do that? Can he harden someone's heart? Um, that's a, it's a great question, and it's, it's not necessarily, figuring that all out is not necessarily what we're here to do tonight, but really more to spark some thinking in, within us, like, is this something that we can, do we feel like this is consistent with what the Bible has revealed to be the God whom we serve? Because it doesn't really matter what we feel about it. it right. What matters is what has God revealed to us in Scripture? Exactly. And, and that's, that's where we have to wrestle. Absolutely. Yeah. Any other thoughts on uh, election? Because it's, it's obviously a big, yeah, Ron, did you? Oh, I thought you raised your hand. I think I struggled with it um, when I first started to realize that I was becoming the quote-unquote term Calvinistic, um, and people were starting to question. When I, this was early on in my faith, and I was like listening to people and talking about things, and suddenly I was like, "Oh, well, you're you're Calvinist? Am I? <laughs> what is that? Yeah, right. You know?" Um, and then it wasn't until and so I started to really question some of these terms, and I hate to just throw it into that, you know, that thing, but that's just what people refer to um, when you start talking about doctrines of grace. Mm. But then really digging in and reading through Romans really carefully, yep. and getting the T by four in the head in Romans 9, and going, whoa, did he just say that? Yeah. Um, you know, really just kind of made the rest of the Bible fit together with that there, you know. Yeah. Other places in scripture, even in Genesis, you know, God's talking about ordaining his people and the same with Pharaoh and yeah. giving that example of Esau and Jacob and all these different choices that God had throughout all of time. And it's like, wow, you know, he really who are we to question mm. what God has planned and what yeah. God has chosen? Yeah. And that's where his sovereignty comes in. Yeah. Who are we to tell God we should protect yeah. him? Yeah. yeah. It's it's hard and I really struggled with it yeah. for a while. But now, having gone through the struggle, it's it's relieving. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, Paul deals with that in Romans 9. You know, he said, you know, how can you hold man responsible? And Paul doesn't stop and pause and start with some long theological treatise on things. He says, who are you? It's like mm-hmm. you guys are saying, who are you to question God? Yeah. And you, you really, when you get to this piece, you got to go back to what we just read and look at, you know, what our purpose is and then his attributes. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't think about how holy God is. Yeah. And how every every infraction and how offensive it is to the, the most the whole holy mm-hmm. I mean, the only one who's holy yeah um, you know that's just so imperative and I, I I really find it interesting the arguments against election particularly foreknowledge and and, mm-hmm. and how they how folks deal with that and I I heard a guy named um, you know they say well you know God looks down through the quarters of time and he sees who's going to choose him mm-hmm. well now we're starting to talk about synergism now not just a monergistic move and I, and I was listening to Steve Lawson and I love what he said he said God cannot learn anything he's not going to look down through the quarters of time and learn that less is going to choose him it's mm-hmm. not in in 2006 or whatever it was mm-hmm. you know he's, yeah. he's not going to learn that yeah. And that, I just thought, wow, that's really, yeah. that, that's a good point. Yeah. But you, that's what you're going to hear constantly, and mm. I just love to have the conversation and right. have it in a moder- moderate, gentle, genteel sure. way, I guess. Yeah. I'm like... Well, in, in, <laughs> you know, I think that you can, you can really look at this with a very sunny disposition. Like, God's totally in control of everything. And therefore, that's good news. You know, he is so powerful and he is so loving that he is not going to allow me to stay in my sin and misery. He's going to, he's, you know, Adam and Eve sin. They've been in the garden 10 minutes. They sin right away. And before God has even finished giving out his curse, he's promising a redeemer. So it's like God is, is yes, he's a holy God. He's offended by our sin, but he also is loving and kind and merciful to those who love him. Well, let's keep on going. Uh, next page, 402, on uh, page 402, it says, I believe, uh, so this is talking about the, the, the fullness of the deity of Christ and the fullness of the manhood of Christ. And this is addressing, um, I don't know that we necessarily have these heresies today as much, but there was heresies uh, in the day that, that would try to make God less than fully man or less than fully God. And this says, I believe the only redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, who, being the eternal Son of God, became man and so was and continues to be God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. Now, the, um, uh, it's the, the Chalcedian Creed, I think, uh, the, the Creed of Chalcedon. I think that's the one that goes into great detail about the deity of Christ and the full humanity of Christ. But... But I, I think that we probably can, uh, we can, we can know that God is fully, fu- or that Jesus is fully God, and fully man. Once again, can we explain this? Is this scientifically rational? No. But, but, scientific rationalism is limited. It's got a very, very small view of the world. It can only explain so much. Logic can only explain so much. God is bigger than logic. He's bigger than rationalism, and he's bigger than science. And that's why he can do whatever he wants, whether our three-pound brain can comprehend it or not. Um, It says on the next one, I believe Christ, as our Redeemer, executes the office of prophet, 
of a priest, and of a king. So he is, Christ is filling all of those roles um, in the Old Testament. He is a type in the Old Testament of all of those things. When you see the prophetic work of God's prophets, that is a type of Christ. Same of the priest, the, uh, the, the priesthood. And then finally of a king. And, and Jesus is those, off, he is executing that office right now. Prophet, priest, and king. Anybody, any thoughts on that? So the, the next section is a little bit longer, but this is where we can, we don't have to park here a long time, but this is the gospel. This and these next uh, two, I believe, is the gospel, and it's what saves us. So kids, if you want to know what the gospel is, listen to this part. It says, I believe Christ as our Redeemer underwent the miseries of this life, the wrath of God, the cursed death of the cross and burial. He rose again from the dead on the third day, ascended up into heaven, sits at the right hand of God the Father, and is coming to judge the world at the last day. I believe we are made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ by the effectual application of it to us by his Holy Spirit. Any thoughts on that? Gospel message right there. Cool. You know, some churches will uh, make a distinction between spirit-filled Christians and non-spirit-filled Christians. There's a variety of opinions as to what that means. But I'm of the conviction that in order to be a Christian, you have to be filled with the Spirit. You can't be a Christian without being indwelt by the Holy Spirit because it's the Spirit of Christ who lives in our heart. Jesus is a physical person. He doesn't live inside our heart. It's His Spirit that does. It's His Spirit that indwells us and makes us that new creation and causes us to be born again. So when we talk about being a Christian and having, asking Jesus into your heart, you're really talking about the Spirit of Christ. Because Jesus, the man, is in heaven, reigning on high, in physical form. He's a physical person. He's not a, Jesus is not a spirit. Okay, now here's our response. The next line, the next I believe, is our response to the call of the gospel. Now, this is a gift, but going back to the whole free agency, free will thing, we are finite, God is infinite. When we are presented with the gospel, our response must be this. Today is the day of salvation. Our response is that I believe God requires of us faith in Jesus Christ and repentance unto life to escape the wrath and curse of God due to us for our sin. Charles. Yeah, that's actually on the, the, the second line. I believe God is a spirit. You're exactly right. That's a great question. Anybody, anybody want to take a stab at that? What, what was your question, Charles? Jesus came in the flesh, right? He was begotten of, of God. So he was in the flesh and then died and rose again as a physical, as a physical being. And Jesus... The, of the Trinity, right, from the three, is reigning in his physical body after being resurrected. So Jesus is no longer a just a spirit. He's not invisible. A, Jesus is a man. Hmm. So, so God, God is God the God the Father is a spirit. 
He has not a body like man, just like the Catechism says. But does Jesus have a body? Yes. And is Jesus fully God? Yes. And is, how many gods are there? One. But how many persons are there? Three, right? So what we're saying cannot be explained scientifically. It's, a, some, it's an article of faith. We take it to, to not, we don't, we don't believe this because, oh, we can put it all into our equation and it all makes perfect rational sense. It's be, think of it this way, Charles. We believe in a God who is bigger than our ability to understand. If we believed in a God that we could fully understand, that'd be a pretty little God because we have pretty little minds, right? God is God and God is good. Man is not God and man is not good. And so we believe in a God who is bigger than anything we can possibly totally comprehend. That makes sense, buddy? It's a great question. Okay, so we're gonna get to the, put myself there. We're gonna get to the free will part here, um, but it's, it's not man's free will. Uh, it says, I believe, okay, and actually, just, just so nobody gets too worried, we're just gonna do the next two I believes. Um, the second part, an evangelical statement, um, that is kind of more of the same. It, it, it focuses on more things like the inerrancy of scripture, um, the, the six ordinary days of creation. Um, and we can talk about that in general, but in terms of our discussion points, we're just going to do the next two and then we'll open it up for any, any, other, any other thoughts. So kids, you guys are doing awesome. The treats are almost there. <laughs> Okay, so uh, so we're gonna uh, so I believe uh, second to, second to last I believe on the first part here I believe by His free grace we are effectually called justified and sanctified and gathered into the visible church out of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. So I said we were gonna talk about free will. We are. It's God's free will. God's the one that truly has free will. He has ultimate free will. And when he chooses us as his people, when he effectually calls us, it's by his free grace. It's not grace that we've somehow earned by making the right decision. It's free grace that we don't deserve. And that's what makes it grace, that we don't deserve. Getting what we don't deserve, that's what grace is. Um, any, any thoughts on this? So, Anne and I both kind of had the same pause when we read this. And I, I don't know if it's could have just been cleared up with one additional word, but outside of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation, or out of right, or yeah. you guys caught it good. I was yeah. I was gonna see if anybody brought that up. Elizabeth grabbed that last night, and she's like, "Wait, what is out of which there is no poss ordinary possibility for of from, salvation? From which there's no or? that's I don't I'm I'm right there with you. I'm not totally sure what they mean, but I actually have a note here that says outside of which, yeah. just like you said." That's, that's how I would take it. Any, anybody else have any thoughts on that? That phrase, out of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation? Outside Jesus, yeah. there is no possibility yeah. of salvation. That's exactly. Yep. Yep, that's how I saw it too, Kirby. That's a great, great reading comprehension. <laughs> uh, any other thoughts on, on, uh, on the free will of God or the free grace of God? Okay, awesome. Now, um, this next line is a little bit longer. Stick with me on it, though. This actually ties beautifully back with the very first part, which is, I believe man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Um, so we're kind of back to the why. We're finishing this up with the beginning, which is the why, which is, I believe that we are given in this life such accompanying benefits 
So, so why are we doing this? Because we get benefits. Because it's something we get eternal life. Because we get to enjoy. Uh, because we get to enjoy God and glorify Him. So we have been given all of these things um, because we or we believe all of these things because of the benefits that we are imparted to us. Here's the benefits: an assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Ghost, increase of grace, and perseverance therein to the end. That at death, so we're still in the benefits. At death, we are made perfect in holiness and immediately pass into glory. And our bodies, being still united in Christ, rest in their graves till the resurrection. And at the resurrection, we shall be raised up in glory. We shall openly be acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the, in the full enjoyment of God to all eternity. So that, once again, is the why. Why are we doing this? Why are we here? Not, not here tonight, but why are we here on this earth? And what is man's chief end? It's to enjoy God, and this is how we enjoy Him. We have full assurance of all of these things. Thoughts? Comments? Ava? Is it only because of the benefits that we do that? Uh, we, yeah, great, great question. Yeah, really good question. Um, yeah, go ahead. Um, okay, yeah. So, so the question is, um, is the only reason why we do this because of the benefits? And I'll go ahead and take a stab at it because it's a great question. Um, I would say yes, because if there wasn't the benefit of eternal life, if there wasn't the benefit of the bodily resurrection from the dead, of the assurance of God's love and pardon, then we wouldn't follow this way. That's why Jesus came in power and in glory, raising the sick and or raising the dead and healing the sick. So that we would know that he came with authority. He didn't just come and say, hey, I've got a new idea. He came and he had authority. He said, if you don't believe me, at least believe the miracles. And so I would say, Ava, yes, the reason why we do it is because we know that we are storing our treasure in heaven, not here on earth. And so, yes, we're doing it because of the benefits. That's just my take at it. Anybody else want to take it? Can yeah. I add a little bit? The Someone said, how do you know you're a Christian? And I, I think John MacArthur was answered it this way. He said, when, when, you, when you're born again and when you receive salvation in Christ, in that moment, Christ becomes the most important thing to you and in your life. That you, you're, because before, we go back to depravity and, and our hostility and rebellion against God, we could, we could care less what God thinks of us. We don't care. It doesn't matter. I don't, I don't, I'm not wringing my hands because I'm worried about whether or not I'm in good favor with God because it doesn't matter to me. But once we're, once we're saved, all of a sudden our hearts are mm -hmm. taken from stone and made into a heart of flesh. And now Christ becomes the most important thing in our life. And Romans 2, 4 talks about God's patience and forbearance and how it leads us to repentance. Mm -hmm. So it's like... You know, Ava, when you're, your dad rewards you for being a good girl, for being obedient, but you know more important than that, you want to please your dad because you love him so much. And you want your, you want your dad to be proud of you and all of that. That's how our Heavenly Father is with us, too. He, we want to please him because he's the most important thing to us, and, and he pours out his love on us uh, unconditionally and, all, and no matter what. 
So I want to please that. Yeah. I want to please Him. Yeah. So we do receive all these wonderful benefits. It's it's amazing, but He's He's just so important. To yeah. Us too. Amen to that. Amen. Uh, another thing I, I say is that if, you know, going back a little ways, if, if we accept that the nature of us is is evil, is not you know, is not godly. Uh, the only way that we can overcome our nature is through Jesus Christ. And it's exactly God. right. Yeah, it's, it's not something that if we accept that, it's not something we can do on our own. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Romans eight seven says we can't. Mm. We cannot do it. Yeah. Very explicit. Good. Awesome, guys. That's great. Um, so that second part, an evangelical statement um, adapted from the National Association of Evangelicals. There's a lot of repeated stuff there, but but they really focus in on some things that are um, relevant to our culture. That is be like the inerrancy, um, the infallibility, and the authoritativeness of, of God's word. Um, they talk more about the, um, the, the uh, sovereignty of God, how he's omniscient and omnipresent and omnipotent. He's everywhere, he knows everything, and he's all-powerful. Um, it talks about uh, creation being made in six ordinary days. Um, once again, talks about the deity of Christ as well as his manhood. Uh, and then finishes up with more on the resurrection of the dead. So I don't think we need to go through line by line just because these kids have done awesome and I want to do a little bit more singing. But does anybody have any other major topics that, that we maybe didn't spend enough time on or... Anything else they'd like to add? I just have a quick question. Yeah. Do you know why, why it's formatted? Is the first half is I believe and the second half is we believe? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I think uh, because they're from two different sources. Um, the, the first one is from the Shorter Catechism, mm -hmm. which catechisms are generally um, not used in, well, they, they are used in, in worship. And so whenever they're used in worship, you always say we believe because you're doing it corporately. Um, but oftentimes they're used to like train your kids. So what do you believe, Calvin? I believe this. Um, where, and then the evangelical statement is like, as evangelicals, this is what we believe. Uh, that, that, would be, that would be the way I would, I would take it. I think it can be totally interchangeable. I think a lot of evangelical churches have moved away from the catechistic approach to things. You know, here's the question, how do you answer the question? Right, yeah. Anybody else? Awesome. All right, let's go with 392 in your hymnal. If you got a hymnal, oh, it's How Firm a Foundation. Yes. Yes, I do. Anybody else need music? Words? Anybody else? Okay, 392.
So um, we, are, we are told to sing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And um, there's lots of interpretations of what that means, but we do know that we should be singing the psalms. And so I picked one. It's going to be uh, page, or it's, uh, number 185. It's on page 227, but 185, and it's Psalm 100. And the reason why I picked this one is because it's got a tune most people probably should recognize. Um, it's the same tune. It actually will probably mess with our heads a little bit because we're going to sing the doxology after this, and it's the same. It's it's the same tune, but just slightly different. Um, so the only thing that's a little bit different about this is that uh, in, if you don't read half, if you don't read music, that's fine. But there's some half notes in here that aren't in the normal doxology. But it's Psalm 100, and it's the whole psalm, um, which is um, five verses. And you can see with a psalter, with a metrical psalm like this. When you look at the verses, you'll see a smaller number. That smaller number corresponds with the, with the line of the psalm that it is. So this is Psalm 100, and the, the first, first line is verse 1. And then line 2 is actually verse 3 of Psalm 100, because verse 2 comes on the second line. Anyways, that's what those little tiny numbers are for. Um, so I'll go ahead, and, and you guys can sing with me if you know it. I'm going to sing the first line um, and you guys can join in. Then we're going to start at the beginning again. So I'll sing the beginning, and then we'll start at the beginning after we get it through one time so you guys can hear how it goes. It goes like this. All people that on earth do dwell, sing to the Lord with cheerful voice. Him serve with mirth, his praise for 
that again. All people that on earth do dwell, sing to the Lord with cheerful voice. Him serve with mirth, his praise forth tell. Come ye before him and rejoice. Good job. Verse 2. Know that the Lord is God indeed, without our aim he did us make, we are his folk he doth us keep, and for his sheep he doth us take. Oh, enter then his gates with praise, approach with joy his courts unto, Okay, so now if you don't know the doxology, it's on the back, the back sheet of this. It's 734, and it's actually the same tune, just uh, just, just enough, uh, enough different to uh, mess with our heads. It's ready? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Why don't I close this up in prayer, and then we've got some eating to do. Lord, thank you so much for this time together tonight. Thank you that you have given us your saints and you've given us to one another to encourage and to help in our mission to be more like you. We want to submit to one another out of joy and try and outdo one another in showing one another honor. We pray, Father, that we would do this tonight and uh, pray, pray that you would bless uh, the snacks to our body. And thank you so much for each one of these kids that did just such a fabulous job listening and taking part. And I pray that you would bless them especially mightily with the goodies that they're about to partake of. We pray this in the good and strong name of Jesus who reigns with you uh, in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. Amen. Amen.